Hey, Valley fans, you're listening to the March to the Arch podcast. Is your team going to win? Make some noise! This is the March to the Arch podcast, your place for Missouri Valley Conference news, talk, and takes. Welcome to episode 17 of the March to Arch podcast in this 2020-2021 Missouri Valley Conference season. Got a great episode for you, Valley fans. We are joined by Loyola Phoenix sports writer Abby Schnabel. And then we also talk about games from this past weekend of January 16th through the 17th. And on Monday, the 18th, plus, as we're recording, it's Wednesday, January 20th. We've got the Redbird Bradley War on 74 game going right now. It's about eight minutes to go in the first half. So let's send it to Baker. How are we doing today, Baker? Not doing great right now. Um, Bradley's Bradley's uh, got a nice little lead on us. So uh, it's 22 to 15. Uh, birds are fighting, though. They're Fight. just a lot of fight. We're pretty sloppy, but... Um, you know, Warren seventy four. They're gonna keep, they're gonna hang in there. This nobody anybody thought this was gonna be a blowout out of RBA at least in the first half. I mean, you knew Redbirds would fight. Um, maybe uh, for our listeners here, we are together. I'm very excited to be uh, back in the state of Illinois. Uh, excited, actually, you know, is a relative term. But um, we are watching it from our basement. Um, before I turn the game on, Baker starts just talking about the Warren seventy four. He's calling out. I hope so and so is commentating tonight. Um, Bullet and- Bob Morris. <laughs> Bullet Bob Morris. I don't know if that's his nickname, but I love it. Okay, well, um, let's just say uh, Baker was so excited about this game. And At Redbird, Redbird fans know exactly who Bob Morris is and have an appreciation for him. Well, um, so along the way on this episode, I, I love him. we're going to be watching uh, the game. Uh, so if you hear Baker just oohing and on or um, likely uh, potentially um, um, saying some choice words, uh, that's why uh, we're talking through it. But how are we doing, Baker? We're doing good. Um, I mean, it's obviously awesome. Uh, this this starts. It's it's awesome to see Illinois State and Bradley playing. And I know I'm kind of I'm gonna go on a little tangent here, but for me, having gone to as many games of these two playing against each other as I have, to see them play, it, it's it kind of has. It's just that such a deep down valley feel. The war on seventy four, and I mean, I know you're a Southern guy, but like you always, I'm sure you as a Southern fan, you knew Bradley Illinois State. That's a the war on seventy four is a thing. It is, and uh, I live in the area, and I understand what it is. Um, definitely better in the last almost 10 years that I've been uh, living in this area. Um, and uh, yeah, it means a lot to a lot of people. I'm actually kind of bummed I'm not in the office because I would say this was a time of year you saw a lot of red and it was both Illinois State and Bradley. And today would have been one of those days. You had uh, co-workers in uh, Redbird gear and uh, Bradley Brave gear. So one of those things that, you know, kind of missed that's uh, one of those um you know, uh, ancillary things about Valley fandom that, that comes out along the way. No doubt about it. All right, Valley fans, let's talk about games from Saturday and Sunday, January 16th and 17th. Real quick in the opening, uh, I miss, uh, said that there are no games on Monday. That's on me. My bad, Valley fans. And so let's start off with the Valpo DePaul game. So Valpo, this was the JFL Javon Freeman Liberty revenge game. After both teams had both games postponed, um, they threw this one on the books, 
And uh, I loved it. Twitter kind of exploded a little bit because of just the implications between uh, DePaul and Valpo with JFL uh, transferring there. Uh, before we get into the game, um, <clears throat> I think it's interesting that this is the first game against DePaul for the Crusaders since 1980. Because of, it, That's just crazy to me, Baker, because of the close proximity. I mean, it's Chicago and Valparaiso, Indiana. Yeah, no doubt about it. So, um, unfortunately, uh, that, that's where we end this game uh, because Valpo uh, lost 58-77. to Crusaders were down 10 with 10 minutes to play in the first half. Uh, to make the deficit worse, DePaul went on a 13-0 run, and the Crusaders were down 32-9 with seven minutes to go in the first half. But they did cut into the Blue Demons lead, um, and they were only down 15 at the half. In the second half, uh, Valpo cut the lead to 11, and then DePaul went on a 16-0 run. Uh, they were down 30 with uh, four to go, and and got the final score more respectable with an 11-0 run, but ultimately lost by 19. Uh, for Valpo, um, Aaron Gordon had 12, Saiki had 9. For uh, DePaul, JFL had 7. That's the only person we're going to talk about because that's all I actually really cared about in this game. Um, interesting stat line for uh, JFL in the last three games. He had 8 against Butler, um, 7 against Valpo, and 2 um, in, in the prior game. His minutes are kind of dwindling for DePaul. Yeah, that's, which is interesting. I am kind of surprised by that because considering DePaul's, I mean, it's not like DePaul's a juggernaut by any stretch. And JFL's awesome. I mean, he was great in the Valley last year. Uh, this game was, uh, DePaul jumped on him right away. And it was kind of, uh, for basically the entire game, um, I was kind of flipping back and forth because Illinois State was playing at the same time. And it was, it felt like Valpo was just always playing from behind. And, you know, they, they would get, only so close, and it, it just wasn't going to happen. Um, DePaul just overwhelmed them, and that was really the story of the game. It wasn't really a um, – it wasn't close. <laughs> yeah. Um, which, which it's just a, disappointing. Which is a bummer just because um, it was kind of a revenge game, uh, which would have been cool. Yeah, Valpo's – and we'll get more into Valpo as we go, but they're – I mean, they're struggling. They are. All right, let's uh, move into the uh, war between the ISUs. We had Indiana State versus Illinois State in the first game. Indiana State um, swept the series, uh, so we can just start there. But uh, first game, 73-65 win over your Redbirds. Um, this was the first win for the Sycamores at RBA since 2014. Um, after a terrible shooting half for both teams, Indiana State was up five at half. The Redbirds tied it up early in the second half, but a dunk and a layup by Tyree Key around the 17-minute mark put the Sycamores ahead for good. Uh, the sec Sycamores in the second half shot 52% and were 19 of 21 from the free throw line for the game, and they out-rebounded the Redbirds 43-27. Uh, three Sycamores had double-digit points. Trey Williams, uh, this was his first double-double. Um, Cooper Nice and Tyree Key all had double-digit points. For the Redbirds, um, three were in double digits. Uh, Horn with 16, Mahorsik for with 15, and Strong had 10. In the second game, uh, Indiana State won 74 to 68. Uh, the Sycamores led for all but 26 seconds of the game and were up 15 at one point. Uh, Tyree Key had 18 and is now in the top 10 in scoring for Indiana State. Miller had 13, Williams and Howard both had 11. Baker, what's your thoughts on this series? Yeah, it, it was uh, very similar basketball games. Uh, both games played out pretty much the same way. Indiana State uh, came in. It was kind of a business trip for them. 
Uh, we talked about it as a get right get right series that that it could be for them, um, and kind of building off the momentum from the one victory that they had when they split with Loyola. So um, this is three out of four for them now in Valley Play. So they're starting to kind of climb back up the standings to where they we thought they'd be. Um, it definitely it never felt like Illinois State was quite going to win either of these games, and the scores look closer than than you really thought watching the game. Like. The, like they were competitive. Illinois State was very competitive with them, but it never felt like Illinois State was going to win either of these games. And for Illinois State, at least they're they're playing harder. It's not a um, the the first two games of the season were kind of discouraging for ISU fans. So it's starting to see them coming out playing harder. Uh, the defense has been better, not as good as it should be, but it's been better. The ball movement's better. The the offensively they they don't look as lost as they had been, but still at the same time it's. Um, it's baby steps as a young team and uh, they're going to get better as they go. It's just not going to happen as fast as I think an Illinois state fan like myself would want it to. Summed it up. Well, let's move on to the Evansville Bradley series. Uh, another sweep here. Uh, Bradley winning both games. So for game one, Evansville 60, Bradley 69. Uh, this was the first game at Carver arena for the Braves in almost a month. Uh, it was a competitive first half, but the Braves shot 60% in the second half with a 16-3 to run uh, by Bradley to gather momentum and control the game. They were up 12 at one point, but Evansville um, made some threes to uh, trim the lead to seven before half. Uh, Bradley uh, came out hot and got the lead to 12, but the Aces fought back and uh, cut the lead to four. Then Bradley gets the lead... Um, um, again, and the Aces fight, fight back and cut it to three with four minutes to go. Tavanian had uh, five straight points, and then the Aces just couldn't get it any closer after that. Uh, Bradley shot a season-high 61% from the field in the win. Childs had 19. Nolan Jr. had 16. Tavanian had 13. For the Purple Aces, Newton had 22 to lead the Aces. Um, in the second game, Evansville uh, lost 55-86. to this was the largest Missouri Valley Conference victory in 21 years for the Braves with a wire-to-wire -wire victory. Uh, not a lot to talk about in this game. It was just a beatdown. Uh, Bradley, uh, leading the way for Bradley, Jayshon Henry uh, had 16. Nolan Jr. had 13. Tavanian had 12. Childs had 10. For Evansville, Inaruna had a career-high 17. Uh, Baker, what's your thoughts on this series? Yeah, so the first game was super competitive. Um, there was uh, it was it was competitive right until like the, I think the four minute mark was when Bradley just kind of took over a little bit toward the end of the game. But um, Evansville was in this game. Um, it was competitive throughout. Um, uh, they Bradley is just a better team, I think, and they kind of made the plays at the end to to get the win. The first one, um, totally different story in the second game. Uh, Oof, I was, that was, they beat the brakes off Evansville, which I was shocked by because um, it's I, I think we've seen Evansville play well enough this year to not compare them to last year's team as much. Yeah. I think we're kind of at that point where um, it's kind of shocking if they get blown out. Like, we're we're past last year. Mm -hmm. um, so I was really surprised that this uh, this team that uh, we we both like a lot, they've got a, the, the thing I like about Evansville is they've got a lot of guys that can make plays, score with the basket. Uh, score the basketball throughout the game. Um, Newton's Newton Givens. I mean, they've, they've got, got a lot of guys on this team. Coleman is our favorite player on the podcast, probably. Um, they've got a lot of guys that can play, but um, 
I think in the second game, shooting the basketball is is everything. And Bradley just shot the ball really well, and Evansville didn't. And um, they beat the brakes off him. Well said. All right, uh, let's get into Northern Iowa versus Loyola series. I think everybody uh, prior to what's happened in the 2020-2021 season would have circled this uh, series on the calendar, but it just did not come to fruition. Um, another sweep uh, this weekend. So there's three sweeps, which is c- kind of crazy to think of, uh, Baker. Um, uh, when you think of just the Valley in general, uh, I thought there'd be more, a lot more splits. But anyway... Um, in the first game, Northern Iowa lost 57 to Loyola, uh, 72, uh, Northern Iowa led at halftime by one and were, uh, up six until Loyola used a 31 to eight run in the second half to control the game and ultimately win in the first game. It was uh, Tate Hall with 24 off the bench, uh, which is a pretty cool stat. Clemens had 10, Kennedy had 10, uh, for Northern Iowa, Fife had a double, double, uh, going 18 and 12. Um, in the second game, uh, Northern Iowa 46, Loyola 88. This was a game of runs with you and I up 19-15 with 12 to go. Then the Ramblers went on a 24-5 run to take a 15-point lead at the break. Um, this includes zero field goals uh, for Northern Iowa in the last eight minutes of that first half. The second half was just an absolute beatdown, fueled by hot shooting by the Ramblers. Um, they were up 42 points at one point, and they didn't miss a shot until 10 minute, ten and a half minutes left to go in the game. Um, Loyola was 11 of 20 from three, just an absolute beat down. Um, Baker, I know you got to watch both these games real time. What's your thoughts? Before we talk about those games, I just want to let you know that it's 18-26 left in, the, left in the game here, and Illinois State is leading the Bradley Braves. A lot of game one. Yeah, I know. Um, so what I'll say is um, Northern Iowa was actually really impressive in that first game. Um, played a really good about 25, 28 minutes. And then it just, the wheels fell off. Um, this Loyola team is powerful, and, and I think they proved it in this in that, that first game. When they needed to turn it on at the end, they did, and they just kind of ran away with it. And then the second game, I think it just you showed the difference in the teams, quite frankly. Like Northern Iowa just does not... They're not at Loyola's level. Um, and I know, I feel like we're, we're beating a dead horse here when criticizing Northern Iowa because we know what they're going against. They, they're, yeah. Their season got totally derailed. But, um, I mean, neither one of us is surprised they got swept. And I'm not surprised one of the games was blown. I'm, I'm just not. Right. I don't think Northern Iowa is that good. And I think Loyola is that good. And it's just was, um, it's tough to go on the road at Loyola to, uh, to come out with a win. Um, like I said, they played well. Fife actually played really well in that first game. I was he really did. impressed with Fife in the first game. Um, made a lot of really good plays. At times, he played better than Crutwig. Um, and I know that's I know that's probably going to cause some controversy saying that, but I, I thought Fife was the was better for a lot of parts of that game, and he played really well. But I mean, that second game, it was just it was almost like Northern Iowa got outclassed. Yeah, I, I'm with you too. It's it's more. It's not that you and I is bad. Their circumstances kind of created them to be bad. And I think they are what they are, and uh, I don't think they're going to shake that that the label that I would say a lot of Valley fans are putting on them. Uh, one game that I do want to talk about about the weekend, and I'm just going to mention the score. Missouri S&T played uh, Missouri State Bears. Um, I'm assuming the S&T stands for Science and Technology, but um, I don't know. I didn't go there. 
the Missouri State <laughs> Bears won 94-49. to That's just one of those games that gets added on because of a lot of idle teams um, in the Missouri Valley Conference. No, but hats off to Missouri State yes. for picking up a game. I mean, Absolutely. that's I, I don't care who you're playing. You know, that good for you playing, getting out there, playing a game, keeping your guys fresh. It's you look at teams that have that played and sorry to cut you off. I know you want to get into the game, but you look at a team like Bradley who took 19 days off and how they came back and they were a little sluggish in that first game against first two games against Northern Iowa. Um, It's good that Dana Ford knows his team. His team has been playing well. Yeah. Keep him going. Got to keep him going. Keep him going. And I don't want to talk about this game at all because I only wrote down the score. Perfect. So 94, 49, good one bears. Way to go back. All right, Valley fans, let's get into uh, game one of the Wednesday night slate here on uh, January 20th. Uh, this is the first game. Uh, Loyola beat the brakes off of Valparaiso, 75-39. Um, just before we get into this game, Baker is a little bit hyped. Uh, the Illinois State game is going. Uh, up by six. 40-34, except uh, DJ Horn just got a technical for taunting, which was terrible call. Right on. Uh, but anyway, um, not a lot to talk about in this game. It was a beat down. I watched most of it uh, before Baker got over here. Um, it, this was the first time Valparaiso has been held to under 40 points since 2000, and that was in the NCAA tournament against Michigan State. Uh, the 36-point mar- margin of victory um, for the Ramblers over the Crusaders is the largest um, victory in the series, which I would say spans back to the Horizon League days. Uh, for Loyola, Kretwick had 15, Williamson had 11, and Tate Hall had 10. Um, just another beatdown. That's kind of been the story of this weekend um, for a lot of teams in the Valley. Um, any thoughts here, Baker? I mean... I have some thoughts. Uh, Loyal is awesome. They're far superior to Valpo. Um, is Valpo 10th best team in the league? As of today. Right now, we're recording. As of we're recording because Illinois State has a lead over Bradley. We're, it's sure. a, say they lose this game. Do you still do you think Valpo's better than Illinois State? I mean, because I haven't seen Valpo play well since they came. I, and granted, I didn't watch very much of this game at all. Um Hard to, for me to say they're better. They they have not looked good since they had the whole COVID deal. Um, granted, they've only played a couple of games, but this is um, hopefully Coach Lotta can get it going. Yeah, um, it's 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 really disappointing because um, how much hope and everything we had last year with Valpo yeah. toward the end of the season with Arch Madness and everything like that. And now I want uh, Valpo to, to be good because like, everyone we interact with from Valpo is awesome. And so That's so I true. want them to be good. Um, I really like Saki. You know, I really like Donovan Clay. I Cricky. I mean, I just want them to be good, and uh, I just hate the. You know, they're just kind of taking it on the chin right now. Yeah, it's it's tough, and you hope that eventually they they right the ship. But it's uh, as of now. I mean, there's it's hard for it's hard to put them anywhere but tenth. Yeah, so I mean, that's yeah, the I'm with you. It's 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 a bummer, and and we I know like. Last year, like, we talked about it. This is their moment to kind of join the Valley. But, like, now they're kind of out of sight, out of mind again. And it's, it's disappointing. But um, I think you had even – I'm frustrated now because JFL had just nothing of a game against them. I know. And he's I just do- kind of hiding in the back box score. And it just frustrates me because as a Valley purist, it's like, ugh, it just makes me so mad. And because we loved JFL. Like, yeah. last year he was one of our favorite players. So. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're going to get it going again. It's Valpo. Yeah. They're, it's a good program. It's, I think that um, a lot of 
great coach. I do too. I do too. I was so impressed with what he did last year, um, especially day to day watching him coach through the valley for through Arch Madness. So um, they'll eventually be fine. But Loyal is just just that much more powerful, and um, it is what it is. All right, we got about 14 and a half left, and then uh, we'll come back and talk about uh, Illinois State Bradley Warren 74. All right, Valley fans, let's close off this inaugural day games with the war on 74. I'm here with a Baker who is flying high after a 71-56 win. Illinois State over the Bradley Braves. Um, just a little bit about this game. Check out our Periscope that we did at halftime. We did uh, Baker's first half thoughts. But, um, I mean, for Illinois State, they – Shot the ball very well. They were uh, 38% from three, 43% overall. Um, they were led by DJ Horn with 23, who was just great from three. He was five of nine from three. I mean, that's probably the stat right there. Five, five threes. Um, and then also Reeves had 10. Strong had 14. Uh, for the Bradley Braves, Childs had a ho-hum. Um, Double-double, 14 points, 11 rebounds. Um, definitely the best player for Bradley. They shot the ball atrociously, um, and that's honestly how they lost the game. They were 6 of 22 from 3. Uh, shot 40% from the field, but, I mean, they just they, – they had, they had struggle scoring. Um, so now I'm going to pass it over to an elated Baker. Solid win. Not much, no, I'm just kidding. I, I'm over the moon excited about this game. Uh, been a while. Uh, since Illinois State's beat Bradley, so pretty excited about this win. Um, yeah, the, I mean, DJ Horn, this is the DJ Horn that we, we talked about, why we were so excited about him going into the season. He was awesome tonight. Um, Josiah Strong shooting, uh, he had 14 points. He had that, that three from the Redbird. Um, he didn't, sh- he, I mean, he was two for eight, but one of those two was, was great. Um, this is, this. Is, I, I can't say enough about this game. Um I'm obviously super excited about the Redbirds getting a win. Um, as, as a fan, I mean, this is, I mean, as a fan base, like, yeah. is there is there a more like deflated fan base in the Missouri Valley than Illinois State fans? It's it's hard to find them, and um, I think we kind of needed this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, 100 percent. This is good for your. Fan this is base. definitely big for fan base morale. I would say this is good for Arch Madness, which is 43 days away. Yes, um, it is. Yes, and it is. So one thing I want to say though is like Childs, it definitely felt like. Um, it was like the quietest double double ever, and it just never felt like he kind of got in the rhythm of the game. And um, a few times down low, he catched. And I don't want to blame it on him as much because like some of the passes to him in the post were terrible. And yeah. like it just never felt like he could get in the rhythm of the game, kind of get his get his shot. And kinda, I think I think he's better when he kind of can rattle off a couple shots in a row and and kind of get things going, and then kind of find the find the shooters for Bradley. Bradley is good when they're balanced, and they were not balanced. Tonight. No, it felt no. like they kept going to Childs, and they were forcing it to Childs in the second half for sure. Yeah. And it was a lot of one and dones. Like I kept, I think we while we were watching the game, I kept saying another one and done for Bradley, another one and done. And it was um, some shots they were getting were good looks, but a lot of shots weren't great. Um, it's uh, I, I think this is a, this is a bad loss for Bradley. Like it, if, it's a very it's, bad loss. Obviously, I'm excited about Illinois State, but. The, I, I know where Illinois State is in the pecking order. This is a bad loss for Bradley. This is a game they needed to win. Absolutely. Um, if they have any thought of trying to win a conference, uh, they cannot afford another hiccup like this. I know it's a rivalry, but um, you got to take care of business. Absolutely. All 
Alright Valley fans, let's get into power rankings. Uh, these are Baker's power rankings and then I kind of react to them. Uh, before we get into it, I, I do want to talk through a concept here with Baker. Vance Fields is a four-horse team, and so I want to get into the power rankings and see if we think this plays out, even after the uh, Bradley loss to Illinois State. Okay, so let's do the uh, let's do the power rankings first, and uh, I'm going to start things off with the Drake Bulldogs at number one. Um, Loyola was really impressive with uh, their two wins, taking care of business against Northern Iowa, but um, until Drake loses, I'm not moving him off number one. It's just not going to happen. Um, Loyola sitting there at number two, though. Obviously, every bit of the threat to Drake to win the league. Um, at number three, Missouri State is going to be uh, the 9-1 and one Bears. Uh, I have them slightly ahead of Bradley, and I was ready to move Bradley ahead of Missouri State with their impressive weekend against Evansville, but I'm sorry. The loss to Illinois State's a bad loss. Um, there's just no two ways of looking at it. Um, so, and that's the top four, and, and we'll get into that, and I think this is the same top four you're talking about. But um, as we move through the list, uh, at number five, this is going to be one you might might think a little differently on. I have Indiana State, and I think they showed me everything I need to see out of them when they took care of business against Illinois State. I think they're the fifth best team in the league. Um, at number six, I have the Evansville Purple Aces. I think Evansville is still really good. They have uh, they took care of business against Northern Iowa. They 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 at least split against Illinois State, so three out of four with the the lower teams in the valley. So. I still have Evansville up there, and I was more shocked with that Bradley game. I don't hold that against them as much. Uh, at number seven, they're your Salukis, who we haven't seen in a while. So uh, it's really kind of out of sight, out of mind. I still know that they've got a good team. They're going to be good defensively. But um, without seeing them and everyone else playing playing well, it's kind of hard to move them up. Um, and then I have the bottom three, which I think that uh, – I personally think there's we have three locks for Thursday. And um, – at number, I'm, I'm going to say number eight is Illinois State, and the only reason I'm saying that is because they got the big wing is Bradley. Um, I think Northern Iowa is better, but as of this week, you you got to give the Redbirds at least a nod because they played really well against Indiana State in two tough games. Um, Northern Iowa have number nine. Uh, they're just they're they're just trying to find it, and it's uh, Fife's playing really well, but it's it's so inconsistent everywhere else, and it's um, it's almost an impossible task for Ben Jacobson, who's we both agree is one of the best coaches in the league. And then Valpo at number 10, which we kind of alluded to earlier in the pod. Absolutely. I've got no qualms with this list. Um, the only question I have for you is if Bradley beats Illinois State, are they ahead of Missouri State? 100%. That's what I thought. Um, the, the one thing that I kind of alluded to in the opening of this is, is I think the gap is huge between the top four, Drake, Loyola, Missouri State, and Bradley versus the bottom six. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I think it is actually. Um, I when there you first said it, straight up beat downs. So and that's you, what I'm basing it off. No, of. you when you said it to me earlier today, um, and said, you know, I think I'm kind of it's a top four race, and I kind of thought about, it. I was like, man, I think there's a lot of good teams in this league. But then when you really think about it, there is kind of that that kind of cliff where it kind of falls off. But um, yeah, to me, I have this this league in three tiers, and I think it's that top four. I think it's Indiana State and Evansville in that second tier. I think the bottom three are in that bottom tier. And Southern Illinois is somewhere between fifth and seventh, yeah. fifth and eighth, something like that, depending on what we see. Because, you, I mean, we haven't seen them in how many yeah. days? It's I been up with 20 days. Point. Missouri State, um, SIU, and Drake at this point, um, we just haven't seen them in a long time. I'm honestly at a two-tier uh, basis right now. Um, okay, so you have everybody else together. Yeah, okay. because like honestly, it's kind of the haves and the have-nots for lack of a better term. It's like 
we've got four teams that are going to battle it out for first, and then we've got six teams that are just going to fall in wherever the other four fall out. I don't have a problem with that because I think that there is a big difference between the four and then the next group of six, but I, I feel kind of wrong if we put Indiana State in that tier with the next group because I think Indiana State's good enough to I think any I don't think Indiana State's playing on Thursday. Like they're the one yeah. they're that one team in that next group like I feel like if you put them all together you think okay any of these teams could show up on Thursday. I have a really hard time believing Indiana State finds a way to Thursday. Yeah, that and that's fair. So like maybe yeah, maybe they're a tier on their own, but And and Evansville's honestly kind of coming in the same way, but we'll see. No, good, good list here. I think it was the normal movement. I think we'd see in a week-in and week-out list. All right, Valley fans, we are ecstatic to have Abby Schnabel from the Loyola Phoenix. First time um, guest here on the Martial Arts Podcast. We're, we always love having student uh, newspaper uh, reporters here with us because I know when I went to SIU, that was a big part of my uh, fandom as an SIU fan is just reading the Daily Egyptian. I'm still close with a lot of student newspaper guys that were uh, covering the game. So we're excited to have Abby here tonight. Um, how are we doing tonight, Abby? I'm doing great, uh, as most people who follow Loyola sports are tonight. Yeah, you guys, uh, you guys you definitely guys? Got, a, got a huge victory, uh, the second one against Northern Iowa. We'll get into that here in a second. But I want to take you back about nine to ten months. First time I met you, we uh, met at Arch Madness, uh, passing by in the halls downstairs. And I got a twofold question for you. The first one is, um, how crazy was the week after for for you? Just thinking about um, like that sporting event you and I were both at. Vance was at as well. Was like the last sporting event you're you've probably really been at that had was kind of quote unquote normal. And then I also want to ask you, even going back to that time, what was it like on campus with the guys? Because I mean, I know that they still had kind of an outside shot at looking at like an NIT or maybe still going to play some kind of postseason play. Um, kind of wondering how, how it all happened because it was, it was one of those quick things. Like when the NBA canceled, like every, all the balls started moving. So uh, love to get your take on all that before we jump into this year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I got back from Arch Madness on Sunday night. I didn't stay after Loyola got knocked out, had to, had to cut my losses and head back to Chicago. Um, and I got back. We kind of like we my roommate also works for the Phoenix um, and I were like talking a lot about how like, oh, man, this stuff is the COVID stuff is really like getting heavy. Like it'll be like what's going to happen. No one kind of knew what was going on. Um, I remember I had a cold that week and I, uh, was at production night, our last production night that was in person, um, laying out the newspaper the Tuesday after laying out arch madness, all that stuff. And then the next day there were a lot of rumblings about like campus being closed down and we were like, what's going on? Nothing was really said. Everyone was speculating that it was going to come Wednesday night. I was really hoping it was going to come Wednesday night cause I had a Italian midterm the next day. And so, like, if they cancel that, oh, man, I would I did not study enough because Arch was the week before. Um, and so we didn't – we got the announcement on Thursday morning um, that after classes on Thursday, of course, not convenient for me and my lack of studying, but we found out on Thursday that, like, campus was shutting down. And so fun fact that not a lot of people know about me, I was an RA. So, like, I lived on campus. Oh, that's right. I had to – yeah, 
I had to help with closing down campus, finish my classes. And I also was giving a big presentation later that weekend too. And so like, it was just so purely chaotic. And I remember like sitting um, like March 12th, March 13th, when like everything started shutting down, like we were all like Nick, Kyle and I, the three of us who were the sports editors last year were like trying so hard to get all these sports updates out because they were just happening like crazy. Like uh, first Loyola called spring sports and then NBC called spring sports. And then the uh, women's basketball tournament was called. And it was just so crazy, like how fast everything happened. I wasn't like, we kind of thought it would happen, but I didn't think it would happen to that scale and that fast. Um, and then to your second question, I think, I think at that point, the guys had kind of figured out that they didn't really have that much of an NIT chance. Um, you know, maybe had they not gotten knocked out first day, but um, so I think they were kind of done with their season. So they were just, guess we're going home kind of thing. Was there any consideration um, to go to like a CBI or anything like that? Or was it just NIT not, and they, not they that probably were I just know gonna, of. Okay. Sorry to cut you off, well, but no, I was just curious time, about that. No, you're good. At the time, like you got to think arches, the MEC tournament is traditionally one of the earlier uh, conference tournaments. Mm -hmm. And so you're sitting there and like none of these, the CBIs, the NIT, like those really hadn't been decided yet because not a lot of the March Madness had been decided yet. Um, so even if they were expecting it, it all happened like that. Oh, we're going home. Everything shut down before they could even consider doing that. So Abby, I'm very curious. The Chicago market is one that I'm just not as familiar with it. I'm a Southern Illinois guy. I moved up to central Illinois. Uh, we added Loyola after I moved up here. And so I'm just curious of your take of just the Chicago market from a Missouri Valley perspective and just the load that I would say the Phoenix takes on covering Loyola Rambler. Let's, let's go with men's basketball. Yeah. Um, so you got to think, like you said, all the other smaller schools typically have like a beat writer. That's not just the student. Um, like Jim Benson from the Pantograph, um, uh, Paul from covering Valpo, um, and like so on and so on. Um, but Loyola is the only school in the Missouri Valley Conference that doesn't have like a non-student beat writer. So there's that aspect of it that we are the go-to for Loyola news. Like I'm on the, like the MVC writers round table, which happens every week after the teleconference. And I'm the only student that's there because it's all these professionals, but because Loyola doesn't have a professional, they're like, oh, well, we need a student or we need someone from Loyola. So like last year was Nick, this year it's me. Um, so there's that aspect of it that we are like literally like there was a story before they went to the final four about how literally we were the only people there. And, and there are still times we're the only people there. Like, I guess not that it was a big game, but when I was there, when they were playing uh, North Texas, I was the only media member besides the TV crew. And I guess it's different, but I remember so many games when it was normal that like I would have spaces on the side of me that it was just me, maybe someone else just kind of depended. The bigger games though, you did get some of the bigger outlets. Um, Shannon Ryan from the Tribune covers a lot of Illini basketball for, for them. Um, but she's kind of the go-to like, when Loyal is doing well, I guess you could say. And I think the frustrating part for me was like, we're there constantly. And so like every week, 
every teleconference, every post-game press conference were there. And then all of a sudden these big leagues show up and it's just like, oh, who are they? Who's Loyola Phoenix? And that's the frustrating part is because we're the ones that are there for so long. And then the big leagues come in to cover the things and they get more access. And I'm just like, come on. I mean, I got to give Loyola Athletics credit. They are great. And like, they do give us like just as much, but like, it's always in the back of my head that I'm just like, oh, Shannon's here. Oh, I love Shannon to death. Like no hate towards her, whatever. She's such a wonderful human being, such an inspiration, but it's just funny. Like to think about like, we don't compete with them usually because I guess you could say like the student newspapers at other schools compete with the professionals. We don't really compete with anyone until it matters, I guess. And so it's just, it's different for sure. Like I, um, I'm really close friends with Bradley's beat writer, Larry. Um, and he's talking about how he's just like, Oh yeah, our guy. Cause it's not uh, Reynolds anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, our guys, our guys there with me. And like, you also get those bonds right. too. Like you see the Missouri state guys getting really close with Wyatt. Cause he covers the team. And I am always jealous of that because like, we don't have that, but I don't know. I love it. I kind of like being the only one that covers them sometimes because then people come to me. And I think that's great too, from just a, um, you know, your own, you know, personal credentials of everyone still looks back on, I mean, Loyola made a Final Four, you know, a couple of years ago. And so, like, when they need a point of contact, you know, unfortunately, they're probably not going to the Tribune. They might come to you. So I think that's, that's a good thing. But then also I'm kind of curious of, like, I feel like it gets to broaden your, your relationship, you know, maybe more intimately than, with, you know, the staffs of the, the various teams within um, men's basketball. 100%. Like, they're not flooded with um, interviews uh, requests. I mean, I guess they could be, and I just don't know. But like in the post-game press conference, oftentimes, especially now, I'm the only person in that Zoom call. Right. And so it's really great because like I have been able to build up those relationships that allow me to ask the the different questions that you don't usually expect in a post-game interview. I'm so sorry, my dog is in the back. <laughs> I have a dog too. You're fine. <laughs> Do not apologize for any type of dog. Um, Mine is Kona, and she makes frequent appearances on the podcast, so don't apologize <laughs> for any type of dog type thing. She's eating a Gatorade bottle, so it goes with the sports theme. Yeah, fine. absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, like, I've been to so many post games. I've had so many, like, one-on-ones, and, like, to the point where I built up these, like, amazing relationships with the guys. One of my favorite, like, stories of, like, realizing, like, how good my relationship is with Porter and, like, just how much like I get to talk to him is last year um I wrote this article about his jacket and like I did the science of it and I interviewed like uh some science professors and it was obnoxious and we were doing it just for fun and I I couldn't get Porter in a one-on-one so I sprung it to him in a press conference and of course this is the press conference that everyone's at and here's me in the back row asking you how he feels about like people getting excited about his jacket but he just was like all for it and like talk to me about it just like we were having a one-on-one and I think that's so cool is that like not Porter Moser probably is on a first name basis with a lot of people but like the fact that he's on a first name basis with me is just kind of cool and then the guys too the stories I get from the guys because they're super comfortable with me because I'm always around like that's the coolest part is like hearing things like they say something off the cuff in the elevator on my way up to go interview like Barry Bimby the soccer coach or something random I just see them and they mention oh I'm doing this academic thing this weekend and I'm like would have never known that if I wasn't like comfortable with the guy and same with me 
And I think that's huge too, because I mean, you're a student a lot like with the players, right? And so you guys are going through some of the same things with academia, with finals, with COVID, being a student with all that. I mean, and, and so you're trying to do a job. They're obviously trying to do a job as a student athlete. And I think that's a big part of it too. And I think that's a unique thing for you. And that's totally different than any other Valley school, which I think is very cool. Yeah, 100%. I think it's great. Like, I mean, we have our downtown campus and sometimes you're riding the shuttle. Like I remember my freshman year, I was riding the shuttle down to campus and Clayton Custer was sitting next to me. And he just started talking to me because we were buds. And I was just like, so weird. Cause he's like a celebrity on campus and he's talking to me, this freshman on the shuttle. It's just like so cool. Like, I don't know if you could get those experiences other places. For sure. I, so I want to jump into something, something about this season is um, you're covering, you're covering this team during COVID. I mean, you've talked, you, you touched on a little bit. I know you said the, was it the North Texas game that you were basically the only person there and it was just how, how surreal is it to kind of be in an arena where it's you, the teams, the, you know, the staff for the teams, and, and that's it, and you're covering these games. And, and, and kind of talk about the experience around that. What do you see? Is there, is there differences within the, ga the game played? Uh, kind of talk about, you know, basketball in a COVID environment. Yeah, absolutely. I think the weirdest thing is that, like, before I go, I have to fill out the symptom tracker, and it's just, like, I never even thought about that stuff. And also, like, I have to be at games at least an hour before. Like, that's like I have to show up an hour before otherwise I can't get in um and so like that's weird because I have to instead of blocking like the two hours for the game and then the one hour for like post game and wrap up and everything I'm now planning for four hours of stuff so like you get in they scan your, uh or they they temperature check you um and then you're basically like told okay go to this path and like this path preferably this one there is a snack tent but take this path and like it's all very 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 specific and like as it should be to limit the risk um and then you like you go in you sorry again my dog you go in you go up um because we sit in like where the i guess the tv cameras are would be it's, it's typically overflow media seating because we're not allowed on the floor right now um you go up and then you're literally at this table that's like by itself and you're by yourself and traditionally, like, when I would sit in overflow, like, the first game I ever sat in overflow was when Loyola played Nevada straight after the Final Four. We were, like, crammed at this table. Like, you didn't – if you didn't get there early, you didn't have an outlet. And I'm over here with my computer plugged in, my iPad plugged in. And then it's just kind of weird because you're just kind of sitting around wait, watching them do warm-ups, obviously still sticking with the tweeting. Like there's a lot more reliance on the people that are there. I get a lot of questions. I mean, not even just me, but Lou and Kyle too, who have been covering them um, about, okay, who's, who's dressed out, who's not? Because typically you can't see that on the TV, um, especially with how Loyola does it because their benches are on the side that's not opposite the TV. Um, and, and you so you have that like kind of normalcy of people like interacting with you with, with a little bit extra and then I think the weirdest thing I don't like the fan noise and I get why they use it but it's just so weird when you're sitting in this empty arena you're the only person there some at crew some athletics people like there were a couple athletics people sitting distance watching the game but like and then all of a sudden like they just turn it on and the fan noise is just loud and they totally change it too. Like they will turn it up for big plays. 
like the I noticed that when um Ahir Uguak had that huge dunk from Marquise Kennedy during that game like they turned that fan noise so far up and I was just like wasn't expecting that because there's not fans around um you hear a lot more of the communication on the court I mean Loyal has always been a very loud team but when you're sitting on press row and you have the the fans right behind you you can't hear anything but like I was up top and I could hear Porter yelling and the guys yelling. And it's just, it's just a kind of a surreal experience. Cause not, it, it feels normal. Like it's like this normal thing that you would do pre COVID, but it's not because it's so just different. No one else is there. You're the only person there. Um, some things that are the same, like media timeouts, like that's the same, but like halftime, typically there's like a halftime thing to watch, but nope, you're just sitting there like twiddling your thumbs until the game comes back. And it's just, it's so different, but it was like nice to have some normalcy, I guess you could say, because you hadn't gotten to do that before. That's interesting. One thing I guess I'll ask based on that is, is that, have you noticed the intensity is kind of ramped up as we've gotten into Valley play? Because I, I don't remember who the beat was. Some beat writer for, it wasn't a Valley school had mentioned that it was kind of like watching scrimmages early in the season where they were playing the non-con games. But I, and I'm curious, is had, have you noticed a difference in the intensity now that, you know, you had Illinois state in the building uh, a few weeks ago and, and they're starting to play these Valley schools? 100%. Um, I spent a lot of the non-conference season back at my home with St- in St. Louis, um, and my mom's a huge fan, and so she'll sit there, and we call it, they're playing like high schoolers, like it looks like you're watching a high school game, uh, especially some of those, like, uh, the teams that they weren't playing, that the teams that weren't D1, like it just felt like you were watching a high school game, but like ever since, like, Valley Play started, I felt like I was nervous because like we weren't really seeing what they could do in the non-conference. And then all of a sudden it kind of felt like something clicked and they were just like, this is it. And I think there's a lot of intensity, especially during Valley play too, because you don't know if you're going to get a conference tournament. Like obviously it's scheduled and it's there and they want to do it, but genuinely you never know like what could happen. I mean, if this year has proved anything, um, and so I think there's a bit more intensity with that because they, if, if there's no conference tournament, they're going to use the conference regular season winner to go to March Madness and you need to make sure you're on your A game. So definitely the intensity has gone up and I think you can see it too, like you said. So they, they had a, it was an interesting non-conference for Loyola where, you know, these expectations obviously sky high for them. Um, they they ran into a couple of roadblocks. Um, they had that tough game against Wisconsin, which was, you know, Wisconsin's obviously really good. Um, they had that Richmond game where they just had a, a stretch where I haven't seen Loyola play that bad for a stretch in a game in a long time. Um, but now it seems like sound that they've gotten to Valley play. I know they had the hiccup, the, 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 the little bit of a hiccup against Indiana State, but um, I mean, that's a good team and they were desperate. Um, looks like they've turned they've turned the corner um what have you seen out of them uh, particularly the guard play it seems like it seems like the guard play it's just they throw one guy after you another 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 and it's just it's just a consistent play across the board for them yeah i mean that's porter moser is good at getting good guards and grooming them to be really good but like you see it like with the fact that marquise kennedy doesn't start and he is as good as he is he like I mean just thinking about them all like the fact that just the past couple days he decided to bench uh Tate Hall and Keith Clemens came in and the fact 
that all of them like have their thing too. Like they're not the same guard through and through. Um, I actually was thinking about writing an article about this because he has so like the team has so many guards and he, like literally three, he starts three of them. Braden Norris is a surprise that I was not expecting. And he hasn't pl- like, hasn't played for a season and he comes out and plays a completely different game. Lucas Williamson's already getting talks for her. Um, defensive player of the year and I think that's what makes it hard is like you have this idea of what a guard is whether it's a shooting guard or just like a regular guard and um, you have this idea and like they don't fit the mold and so it's hard to figure out because like even when they have their thing that they're good at like Lucas is really good at defense sometimes he has his off day or he has a day where he's just popping threes left and right but then you got guys like Braden Norris who were expecting to hit a lot of threes and he's also really good in the paint. And it's just hard to figure out. Like I see like the other teams trying to figure out how to guard because you can't just focus on one guard. Obviously everyone's focusing on Cameron Crutwig, but like you want to like, how do you figure out which guard to play? Because he has such a deep bench of guards and like even seeing like Baylor have come in and like, you can already see like Porter working on him compared to like his first game to now. Baylor Hebb just has this confidence about him. And like, you don't see that on a freshman a lot of the times. And so I hope I'm answering your question because he just has so many like versatile guards on the team that it makes it hard to figure out like what they're going to do. Absolutely. So you know, I'm curious in your thoughts, Abby, here. So this has been a good weekend for the Ramblers. I mean, took on you and I. I mean, uh, they're preseason number one. We know that's not true, um, obviously, with some injuries with A.J. Green um, as currently. But, I mean, you got wins 72-57 over you and I and then 88-46 over you and I. I'm kind of curious, what's the ceiling for the Ramblers? And then I think more important – for me, what's the basement for the Ramblers uh, for the rest of the conference season in your mind? Yeah, I think the moment you're going to be able to tell is after Bradley next weekend. Because I think Bradley's the next opponent that you really like think about. Like, they're consistently good in post game, And, you know, if Loyola's ranked, if you're demoting UNI from first because they're gone from AJ Green, you shift up and Loyola and Bradley are one and two. And we're um, also demoting you and I pretty deep if uh, you're John Baker <laughs> and this, uh, this uh, podcast too as well. Thanks, Vance. Fair. Um, <laughs> I mean, getting, get, getting beat by Evansville, like getting swept by Evansville, like good for Evansville, but man, that does not look pretty. Um, but going back to your question, like, the ceiling, I think the ceiling's very high. Like, I think they have a good chance of going to postseason play. I think they have a better chance if they don't have to compete in um, Arch Madness because just statistically the past two years, Loyola hasn't been able to do very well in postseason um, tournaments. But I think they still could pull it out. I mean, I think you see the resiliency and the fact that they're, they, I mean, they've won every single series except for Indiana State. Um, and that's a tournament in and of itself. It's a mini tournament, but it's still like the back-to-back play. Um, And I still think they could fall. I mean, you never really know what's going to happen. It's nice that everyone besides Frank is healthy right now, but who knows what could happen. I mean, hopefully they don't fall too far. I always say last year was a rebuilding year and they finished second in the rebuilding year. Um, And so this year, 
the sky's the limit because of the fact that they brought so many players and they're 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 good um but you know you know they can get hot heads like we've seen that before you could get injuries saw that with you and I and also these valley teams like are just coming out and showing up like I'm so impressed by Missouri State this year like this prim and uh the sophomore I can't uh Isaiah Mosley there you go that's his name uh those two like out there balling out like I think they might have been underestimated and like I'm not gonna give Evansville a lot of credit but the fact that they came out and beat the number one supposed one number one team in the conference is huge and then you know there's there's a lot it's very close in valley play like I don't think there's one single team that you can completely count out don't hold me to that because like anything can happen but you got to think back two years ago Bradley went oh and five in conference yeah. play and then won and went to March Madness so like literally anything could happen and that's why it's hard to say what Loyola's basement is because yep. they could keep going and I don't want to uh, you know I mean Drake hasn't lost a game yet this year so we haven't talked about them but yeah let's uh, not forget about them so I'm kind of curious too so uh, just judging by where you are in school um you know Loyola's tenure in the valley kind of your thoughts on the valley as a whole but then also I know you went to Arch Madness last year. I'm not sure of your of how how many years you've gone, but and, oh, you're from St. Louis, so I'm, I'm <laughs> assuming you know Arch Madness, and I would hope you do. So let's get your thoughts on just the Missouri Valley Conference and then Arch Madness as a whole. I love the Missouri Valley Conference first of all because it's it's really like could be any team's game, and that's like what makes it fun. I'm not a big fan of blowout games. Like I want those nail biter games. I'm not a big fan of conferences that like have too many powerhouses. Like I think what's super cool about the Missouri Valley conference is like none of our teams are powerhouses typically, but they're also like good teams. Like they're going to go up against teams like Wisconsin teams like Richmond and give them a run for their money. And I like that. Um, I like that they're typically underestimated a little bit because of that. Um, I love mid-major schools in general. Like, ever since I started following basketball, like, I've typically win, like, I want the mid-majors to win and then always did awful on my March Madness brackets. But um, that's a huge, like, mid-major schools don't get a lot of credit. And I think the Valley is one of the ones that, like, can and especially has um, in the past, like, two years. Like, since Loyola went to the Final Four, I think they've gotten a lot more uh, credit and a lot more, like, just talked about. Um, Arch Madness, I love Arch Madness. I, my parents uh, have gotten tickets. I've been to so many. Um, I was a fan, or I was a fan, because I don't know how to be a fan at games anymore. But I went the year that they were went to the Final Four. That was my freshman year. And then I covered so my sophomore and junior year. And I just think, not only is it a well-executed tournament, but it's just so fun to watch because you get times like last year where uh, the two top teams get knocked out in the first round. And then you also have the, the traditional, they go all the way through like Loyola my freshman year. And I think that's super cool is that with the Valley, you have so many teams that are just so like equal and could show up at any time that it makes it more interesting. It's not like, Oh yeah, you know, they're going to go in there. 
And I also like that there's a little bit more of a competitive edge to it too, because a lot of the time it's a one bed league. Um, Disagree with like the um, selection committee. And I definitely think more mid majors should get at larges. I get all the politics with that and everything, but like, it's just, I think that adds to the intensity because they're all competing for this one spot. Um, Absolutely. And one of my favorite years was Loyola's first year at Arch Madness. And it was one of those things like we all chuck, you, you were a Thursday night team, but you traveled very well. You had Milton Doyle, who everyone loved. And you want, if I'm remembering right, you had, you won the first game and that was huge. And it was just like, we were hoping we had a, a new fan base that bought into what Arch Madness meant because I mean, it was an easy train ride for a lot of people down from Chicago to St. Louis or a car ride. And as well as it was just one of those times as a Valley fan, which is, I mean, I love the Salukis, but I love the Valley as well. It was just like, this is the right choice for Loyola. And, and that's, that's why I asked you the question um, along the ways is like, how do Loyola fans see the Valley? So thank you so much, Abby, for joining us. Abby, where can people find you? Um, they can find me on Twitter. I'm at Abby Schnabel. Um, I'll spell out Schnabel for you because sometimes people get that one mixed up. Um, like me. <laughs> S-E-H-N-A-B-L-E. Also give uh, the Loyola Phoenix Sports account the uh, follow. I think we are just L-U Phoenix Sports because not only me, but the rest of my team does some good work on there. Absolutely. Abby, thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's one of those, I know you got to meet Baker at Arch Madness last year, but but it's one of those we uh, appreciate a Loyola insider. And uh, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Of course. Thanks for having me, guys. So I'm going to cut you off first. We're going to – one. Th- I, wanna, I have a take for you. And we look at the schedule and we start things off on Saturday, Sunday, um, and then into Monday, Tuesday as well. Um, do you think the Valley is missing – missing out on not trying to run a Friday game if they could, if they can try to schedule it into Friday. I've noticed we haven't been on Fridays, and I know Fridays are a weird night, but, like, a lot of high school basketball is not being played. I I think that we're missing an opportunity to kind of get some exposure on a Friday night where a lot of people are home now. Um, I don't know. Is that a bad take? Is that a – I don't think it's a great take, uh, but I also haven't looked at the schedule, like, holistically because I just – you got put – you're putting some people on, like, no rest. And so I think that's where it falls into play. So fair enough. Um, not a bad take, uh, but let's just get the games. All right, <laughs> let's start off with the Saturday game. There we've got a lone Saturday game. Uh, it starts the series between Valparaiso and Illinois State. Game gets more interesting after Illinois State's win. Um, I think a split puts both these teams in Thursday, um, but a sweep by one or the other uh, could have some implications. So what's your thoughts here, Baker? This is a big series for Illinois State. I mean, coming off that win against Bradley, um, this is going to be a series where, man, if they can get to two, if they get two of these, they get to four and five in the league. You start kind of sniffing six. Um, I mean, I don't think they're that good, if I'm being totally honest, and I don't think Valpo is that good. But um, I think they got if they if they can try to win both games, that'd be big. But um, I think Valpo finds a way to get their first win this weekend. I think they're going to split. I do too. Um, moving on to the next one. Uh, this is a Sunday-Monday matchup. We got Loyola-Bradley, which is way more important now because Bradley's got to win um, definitely one of these and would make a lot of strides if they can go 2-0 here. I'm calling a split. I'm calling a split. 
I'm gonna call split two. I I'd like to go Loyola sweep, but I'm gonna say split because it feels like maybe Illinois State was that trap game, especially because mm-hmm. they've had so much good goodwill against Illinois State over the past couple of years. And, um, maybe they thought you know we're going in this weekend with Loyola as the big game coming up at home, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll go split. De- Bradley desperately needs to at least get one of these. Yep. Um, and then uh, series starting Monday, Tuesday, we've got SIU back in action, we hope, um, at Indiana State. Uh, very interesting series here. I got to say split. You'd hope a split. Um, Indiana State's playing really well. Three out of their last four with one of them against Loyola, and then they took care of business at RBA. I know Illinois State's down, but still on the road. Um, I know you're not going to like this, but I'm going to say Indiana State gets both of these. It's it, We've seen Valley teams coming off of long layoffs yeah. before and not play well. Um, and Indiana State's playing well enough, so it's kind of the perfect storm for a sweep for Indiana State. And, and I think it'll be a split on the second half. There's, I, Yeah, the first game will, will yeah. be tough. Um, scheduling note, uh, Northern Iowa is supposed to play Co-College, I think. Uh, that game has already been canceled. Hopefully not due to COVID on Northern Iowa's uh, team, but we do not have any information there. Just saw that come across Twitter. Um, on uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday, we've got Drake back in action at Missouri State. Super interesting. Huge series. Um, I think I'm going to have to go split because, and I think Drake drops the first one because of what we've seen out of teams coming out of COVID. I think Drake's won both these games. I know it's going on a limb. I think Drake comes back strong. They're going to win both these games. Um, Missouri State's been playing really well, and it is going to be extremely difficult for Drake to get one of these games even, um, let alone two. But um, give me the Drake Bulldogs. They're, they're, if they come back playing what they were before they left, um, I see no reason why they're going to lose either of these games. Um, they should be. They should win both games as well as Missouri State's even playing. But um and maybe next week, uh, maybe next Wednesday, if uh, we get, maybe we'll try to do something at halftime for if we get a chance to watch this game together. I think this is a uh, this is a huge matchup. This is probably one of the biggest biggest matchups of the because this is the one we get to find out how good Missouri State is. This will be the biggest for power rankings changes and just trajectory of this four. Does the four become three, or does the four stay four? In my mind, without a doubt. This has been episode 17 of the March the Arch podcast. Uh, on today's episode, we were excited to have Abby Schnabel um, join us talking from the Royal of Phoenix. And then also, we broke down the game since the past weekend. I had an elated uh, Baker talk through the Illinois State win over Bradley. We did our first halftime reaction from Baker. Also alluded to just uh, a little bit of uh, inaugural action. You know, just it's pretty awesome. Um, you know, it's one of those things that whatever aisle you uh, lean on here, this is one of the coolest days in my mind uh, that we truly are Americans. And I've said it a couple times on this podcast, I'm a huge West Wing fan. And I just want to kind of leave everyone with um, a quote from um, West Wing. Uh, the things that unite us are far greater than the things that divide us. We both believe in democracy, preservation of American values, protection of our citizens in a sometimes hostile world. Um, happy Inauguration Day to all Americans out there. Um, really one of those cool things, uh, being American, seeing that ha- the transfer of power in a peaceful way happen today. Very cool. So uh, find us um, at March Arch Pod, at March Arch Baker. And as always, go Valley. Start talking about the Valley. Why not?